Hello there. Welcome to Positive Changes, a self-kick podcast. I'm your host, Shelley F. Knight. I'm a former nurse and clinical hypnotherapist, term podcaster and author of Positive Changes, a self-kick book and Good Grief, the A to Z approach of modern day grief healing. In each episode, I aim to share my clinical, spiritual, and personal experience to help you feel inspired to create your own positive changes in life. Fear not, it's not just me. Each week, I will bring on a new guest and they will share their authentic story of positive change and the tools that they used on their journey. So if you're ready to be inspired, let's go. This week's episode is one of those stories where I'm a little bit in love with the guest. This week, I meet Maria C. Palmer, who has the most amazing story of her own, but it weaves in with the family story as well. For me, anxiety has always found its way through the cracks in my life. I'm an overachiever, and I never wanted to let others down. Um, So I'm also guilty of being a people pleaser. I was a junior in college um, during the summer when I answered the front door um, and it was the federal government looking for my dad. It was really that moment of disbelief and despair that I was introduced uh, to a long struggle with panic attacks. And it was the first time that I really felt like I lost my sense of control and also the sense of myself. And it was a very tough moment for me. Um, But I want to also say that it's really the moment that defines me still today. Join Maria and I as we talk about anxiety and well, just life. Come join us now for this beautiful episode. show, I am delighted to be joined by Maria C. Palmer. She is author of On the Rocks, but also a grant writer. So hello there, Maria. Hi, Shelley. Thank you so much for having me. My absolute pleasure. I just want to expand on the term grant writer because I had no idea what it was. But bless you, I feel like you're saving the world. Does it tell us what does grant writer and the role you do for this nonprofit organisation? So basically what a grant writer does is a grant writer helps to secure funding for a service organization here in the United States. So think of it, basically my job is very deadline driven and think of it as university applications. Uh, Each foundation, which has access to different pools of money, has a certain things that they would like to see in order to evaluate if they would like to give your organization funding. And uh, myself and other grant writers like me are uh, work for organizations to try to secure that funding. So we're writing all the applications, we're keeping touch with the deadlines, 
we're doing some networking, having meetings, and then hopefully getting a grant to further the work that is being done at our humanitarian organization. So that's in a snapshot what a grant writer does. Yeah, bless you. Because when we spoke earlier, I was like, I have no idea. And then this beautiful story of all the work you do, the voluntary work and the nonprofit organization. I was like, I don't think grant writers are going to do it justice. To... <laughs> so bless You're you. Too for sweet. Doing... <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So bless you. Not only are you amazing now, you have the most amazing story, which started with yourself, but then unfolded into your family. So please take us back to your journey of positive changes. Absolutely. I'd be so glad to. Um, so I grew up in a very quintessentially normal childhood at, that really the, embodied the American dream. My parents came from humble beginnings. My dad was the son of Italian immigrants. My mom was one of six children whose parents struggled to get by. They both lived in the inner city of uh, a town, a large, well, mid-sized city in the United States called Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and they were high school sweethearts. My dad was the star basketball player. My mom was the captain of her cheerleading team, and their relationship was textbook for the start of a lifetime TV series. After high school, my mom got a job as a flight attendant back in the days of Pan Am, whenever it was very chic to fly. And my dad became a US postal carrier after he played basketball uh, in college on a scholarship. They got married after a short time and they moved to an apartment. And then they were able to move to a house in a residential working class neighborhood. They achieved their goal back then, which was to do a little better than their own parents. But it really wasn't enough for my dad because he had big dreams of opening a restaurant. My grandfather owned a cocktail lounge at the time, and my dad always really loved the service industry. On a whim and against the advice of his entire family, my dad decided to open a restaurant in a dying town. And whenever I say dying, it was literally dying. Uh, and the restaurant that he bought was actually a failing restaurant. So there really wasn't a proven track record. Um, it was quite the opposite. At the time I was four and I had no idea of the risk that my family was about to embark on. My mom was a stay-at-home mom and my dad left his job at the post office to embark on this journey. And this was our only income. Uh, to say the least, it was a rough number of years. My mom at one point told my dad that they, if they had raised the rent in the building by just a dollar, they would not be able to swing it. And um, over the years, my dad just worked and worked and always believed in himself and his product. And he was able to get a well-known dining critic to come down to the restaurant after honestly begging him. He wrote him several letters. He called him one time and at that time there were no, I'm gonna date this a lot, um, but there were no cell phones. <laughs> there were no answering machines even. So if you called somebody, they either picked up or they didn't. And um, at this particular point, um, the guy's name was Mike Kalina. He picked up and basically he told my dad, listen, I'm going to come out to review your restaurant because I'm sick of throwing your, your stuff in the trash. Um, you know, you're bothering me. You're a nuisance. Please, I'm just going to come out and let's, let's be done with this. 
So he came out and he was really pleasantly surprised about what was going on. Um, and he ended up giving my dad a really good review, but said, you know, I'm concerned that you maybe can't handle all of this newfound business, which that really was a problem the uh, the first day after the review, which um, I talk about in my book. Um, but he really was able to receive awards both locally and nationally from the restaurant. Celebrities and sports stars became commonplace. And we eventually moved into a larger house in a nice neighborhood around the time that I was in middle school. Uh, the beginning of his demise happened whenever he ran for political office and he ran into several financial problems. And during that same time, jealousy brewed as his name was mentioned as a person of interest in a federal grand jury investigation. Um, for me, anxiety has always found its way through the cracks in my life. I'm an overachiever and I never wanted to let others down. Um, so I'm also guilty of being a people pleaser. I was a junior in college um, during the summer when I answered the front door um, and it was the federal government looking for my dad. It was really that moment of disbelief and despair that I was introduced uh, to a long struggle with panic attacks. And it was the first time that I really felt like I lost my sense of control and also the sense of myself. And it was a very tough moment for me. Um, but I want to also say that it's really the moment that defines me still today. Uh, his investigation lasted for a, a few years, and by the time he pled guilty to tax evasion charges, I had moved to California to get away and make sense of it all. But the one thing that I learned was that you can't run away from your problems like internal baggage. They follow you even 3,000 miles away. I was having a hard time adjusting out west. I had no friends um, and family there. Um, I did move out with my boyfriend at the time who um, luckily is now my husband. And I remember, um, I think I, I just share with you off air that I was paralyzed by even very basic decisions. You know, this is what anxiety, depression, um, trauma can do to you. Uh, true story, we were out one time at a restaurant and um, it was this very, very large, extensive menu of everything that you could possibly want. And um, the waitress also ratted off a list of maybe 20 specials. And then she looked at me and she said, what will you have? And I felt like a, a wave just crashing into my face. And I just started crying. And I ended up running out because at the time, a choice that was that basic, I just couldn't make. I did not have the mental capacity to go there. There was so much going on in my own life that just one more decision, it just wasn't possible for me. And for me, you know, reflection is a really important part of my life, even today. And hindsight is always 2020. And I was really stuck in that moment of the federal government knocking on my door. I replayed it over and over again. I relived the trauma several times a day and even throughout the night, I dreamed about this. Um, 
it really wasn't a dream though. It was quite a nightmare. Um, and I know now that trauma changes the wiring of our brain. And, but by trying to make sense of this situation and replaying it over and over again, I was in fact actually destroying myself. I was not helping myself. And I did not know that at the time. I really was searching for meaning and trying to make sense of everything. And um, my uh, husband wanted to find a church um, in Los Angeles and he was raised Episcopalian and he went to a service in Beverly Hills. Uh, and at the time I was adamant about not wanting to go to church there. I was not a Beverly Hills girl uh, whatsoever. I knew three things about Beverly Hills um, and that was that Winona Ryder had just been caught shoplifting. Uh, it was the set of swanky shows such as 90210 and Troop Beverly Hills, uh, which is quite a good mo movie if you haven't seen it. And it had inadequate slices of pizza that I wouldn't, you couldn't pay me to eat back here on the East Coast. Um, in my opinion, this was no place for God or meaning, so I thought. Um, but my uh, husband, Joe, convinced me to go. There was a um, presentation that was offered at the church uh, one night by a Catholic nun named Sister Suzanne Jabro. And she had started an organization called Get on the Bus, which essentially took children to see their incarcerated mothers and fathers. He knew it would strike a chord with me as I was going through all these different emotions with my own father, but my expectations were really not so high whenever I had arrived. Uh, Sister Suzanne came in and as a former Catholic myself, she defied everything that I knew what a nun was. She had no habit. She was boisterous, modern, and really quite the fashionista. She spoke eloquently about how she started this organization for women in prison out of a need. She said that women, especially in the state of California, because it's such a large state, um, there a lot of times whenever women go to prison, they're placed on average about five hours away from their family members. And it's just too expensive for their family members to travel to see them. So it's quite sad in the United States, especially women don't really receive, even though they're, they're given the same visiting privileges, they do not receive visitors in the same way that men do. And because of that, um, she was doing a, a focus group with these women and trying to figure out how to help them. And uh, one of the things that they kept on saying was, we never see our children. We never see our children. And she at, went around the circle and asked them, how long has it been since you've seen your children? And the average was between seven and 14 years. Mm -hmm. And, you know, as a, as a mom, and I know you're a mom too, Shelly, I mean, that's amazing to me. I have a seven-year-old. Yeah, me <laughs> so. too. Fifteen-year-old. So that's like I would never have seen my children because that's our youngest and our, you know our eldest. Yeah. So it, just incredible. So she knew that she needed to change that, and she started it, the first bus in 1999, and Get on the Bus was born. Um, it's expanded all around the state of California. It continues to grow. Now, uh, in addition to Mother's Day, they also have Father's Day visits and they also do special visits um, throughout the year. 
I was really motivated by what she had to say and really touched by it. So um, I follow energy a lot. And, you know, if I sense that I like what somebody's doing, I try to go there because I want to immerse myself um, and follow people who I like what they're doing. I feel empowered by their work. So I stayed behind and I shared my story after her presentation and we immediately connected, exchanged information. I gave her my card and initially nothing happened. And I, I didn't quite understand because I thought we had connected, um, but I found out a time later that she actually lost my card and she called the church trying to find me, but essentially no one at the church knew who I was because I came in as a guest. And, you know, at the time for California, I really had a very unremarkable profile, you know, a, a female um, in her, at the time I was in my mid twenties with, you know, dark hair and blue eyes. I mean, there were a million of these folks <laughs> going to the presentation that night. So uh, it really was, was not defining, but I decided that, you know, sometimes, and I know that you speak of this in your book as well, you can't wait for somebody to knock at your door. Sometimes you gotta, you know, open your own doors or try to check the locks or, you know, you go through a window um, lawfully, of course, uh, I'm not advocating that anybody <laughs> break and enter somebody else's house. Um, <laughs> but, I, you know, I ended up, I was getting a master's degree at the time in psychology and I had to do something for uh, my graduate work, a, a thesis, and I decided that Get on the Bus would be a great place. Um, and I contacted her and it was just such a wonderful conversation of reconnection. And it was, um, she, I could just tell on the phone that she was so happy that I had reached out to her and she was trying all this time to find me and you know, it felt like a lost cause. So I started doing some program evaluations for the organization, which led me then to speaking about my own experience and speaking about why, in fact, it was important to bring children to prison to visit their parents. Um, and then I started volunteering myself. And um, eventually, she had hired a director that ended up quitting on the spot. It was kind of a, a sad story. But I remember we were in the car and we were at a gas station and she told me that the director had left. And, you know, I, of course, gave my condolences. And I said, well, you know, what are you going to do? And she goes, well, I have somebody else in mind. And I said, oh, well, who? And she goes, you. And I go, what? No, I can't do that. <laughs> I have no experience. I'm fresh out of college. You know, this is a very large organization. I don't know what I'm doing. And she stopped me right there. And she said, Maria, you can do it. I believe in you. And I believe that you can do this. And then she also said something else that really wasn't so true. And she said, it will be easy. Um, nothing, <laughs> nothing in life is easy, <laughs> but it was her way of trying to break down my own walls and my own barriers and my own limitations for myself. And so I trusted her and, um, this became 
and I hope I don't get emotional whenever I say this, but this became the most transformational time in my life, both career-wise and also personally. Get on the Bus offered me the redemption and healing, and it really continues to guide me even to this day. And um, now I live 3,000 miles away outside of New York City, and you know I'm not um, heavily involved with Get on the Bus other than you know uh, paying attention to what's going on there and offering support to um, anybody that that comes in and that's trying to steer uh, the organization in the right direction. But it's really always in the most unlikely of places, I feel that we find exactly what we're looking for. Um, you know, I would have never in my wildest dreams had thought if you had asked me whenever I was going into college, graduating from high school, um, what I wanted to be whenever I grew up, it would have never occurred to me because it was not part of my world um, that working with folks uh, for social justice and for change and advocating, especially for children of the incarcerated, it would not have been in my range. But, you know, how beautiful that there really was hope and um, God inside of Beverly Hills. It just really had to be shaken loose. <laughs> essentially <laughs> I'm just blown away and this is where I bet I'm meant to be really professional and say something profound but I was just like wow <laughs> three, three letters that's all I've got love wow that's all right <laughs> I left it from god love your dad that self-belief like a dying town a fading restaurant it's like yeah I'll have a go and you know that one dollar <laughs> the difference between having a roof over your head and not but I love a dollar for self-belief but even he beats me on that one if I'm honest Maria <laughs> and then we've gone from the self-belief through to a fashionista nun. Love to meet her, if I'm honest. <laughs> oh, my gosh. She's incredible. And she would love you, too, Shelley. Um, <laughs> I'd love to connect you. Uh, she is just, to this day, she just turned 75 uh, last week on September 2nd. And she continues to change the world. Um, she's right now um, trying to start another nonprofit at 75. Uh, helping refugees. And, um, you know, I am just, I'm always blown away by her energy and what she wants to do and how she just has this passion for really the voiceless members of our society. It, it really, it empowers me even to this day. I, I can't get through a conversation with her without thinking, oh, how can I help her? I mean, <laughs> she's doing just such amazing work. So, you know, it, She's been such an awesome mentor to me and really cool person. Yeah, I love that, like being the voice of the voiceless, like that, that whole like advocacy. I love that. But I mean, your own stories, I, I just love. I mean, you said that you had this like, anxiety, depression and panic attacks before you opened the door to that life changing news that your dad was going to prison. Mm -hmm. You said it beautifully. I know it's a darkness, but you said like you had anxiety just filled these cracks in your life. But that was almost before what was yet to come so you got mm -hmm. the news bless you that your dad was going to prison but then you've had like a healing story as well which you found through connecting to something other than yourself which is you know one mm -hmm. of the life lessons I learned from the dying back in my nursing days and I love that you know the sense of community 
you know, whether you find it in church or a volunteering group, or, I don't know, meditation circle or ask the universe, there mm-hmm. is something when we step outside of ourselves and step beyond our story. So I love that you shared that. Absolutely. You know, and I would say too, um, another thing that's really helped me through uh, the anxious times, just a, a practical thing, is finding yoga. Um, that's just been such a wonderful piece in my life too. And, um, yoga attracts all kinds of interesting people, but my particular group of yogis is just this wonderful group of empowered women who have all been through these tremendous life struggles and all have been able to center themselves around trying to just better themselves within their own practice so um that's another thing that's that's really helped that sort of just popped into my mind as we were talking about sense of community and uh ways to overcome anxiety and depression and uh get a a further sense of um your own self and you know how you adapt and change in the world yeah and it's really interesting because i do yoga every morning i have a really like I don't say strict because you know I'm always open to what I think I need but my morning routine is that I get up and I do yoga for 10 minutes on my own and I just reconnect myself and you know sort of protect and ground myself for the day ahead but I've never thought about like a sense of community like going to do it in a community because you know when I'm at home I don't care what I look like and if my bum's in the air (laughs) if I got stuck in a pretzel (laughs) position you know but I love the fact that you've got like is community. I never thought of doing that before. Yeah, it's it's been really invaluable for me, especially um, moving to a new town. Um, you know, some years ago now, it really has created the sense of of friendship and empowerment. And you know, you meet you meet the right kind of people. I'm really big on quality, not quantity, of people in my life. And um, the quality of folks that I have met through those classes has just been tremendous and wonderful. So another little uh, aside, but (laughs) a nice nice tool for your box, you know? (laughs) Yeah, no, it is lovely. So dad went into prison, bless him. I think it's really sad. Like you said, you know, he did it. That self-belief paid off. He got this most amazing restaurant, pestered the hell out of the food critic, don't care. I think that's brilliant personally. (laughs) <laughs> but then this jealousy from others led to him going into prison. What happened? Where is dad now? Dad now is out of prison, um, has been since uh, 2006, I think, 2005, 2006 was around the time that this all took place. Um, he has accomplished another amazing uh, journey in his retirement. Um, he also, because of the restaurant, the restaurants brought lots of great things into our life, but it's also brought lots of challenges. Um, he got diabetes whenever he was around 30 years old and had declining health. So um, he struggled with kidney disease for several years. Um, he received a transplant um, two years ago yesterday, um, which almost uh, never happened because uh, he and my mother were actually a match for a transplant. My mom was going to donate 
um, to him. And a week before the surgery, they called it off with an oversight to um, the anatomy was not a match, which should have been flagged much earlier in the process, but it just got overlooked. Um, so we were told this was um, back in 20, 2019. And we were told at that time that, you know, things did not look good for him. Um, and he was quite depressed because he was looking forward to getting the transplant. So we spent that summer um, instead of preparing for him to essentially end his life, um, we prepared for him to begin anew. And um, I took them on the tour of life and we hit every uh, major hospital in uh, the United States in the Northeast within an eight hour drive of Pittsburgh and advocated as to why he would be a good candidate to be on their kidney list. Um, and he was all set to actually have the surgery in New York City in that following September of 2019. And he was going to move into my basement. I redid it myself. And the day that I finished, he got a call from his host hospital in Pittsburgh saying that they had a donor um, for him. And he received the surgery that day. Um, the surgery was successful. Unfortunately, the transplant was not. And about uh, two to three months after the transplant, the, the kidney actually failed. Um, so he went back on dialysis, was really not doing well, um, completely down and out again um, with no real options. Um, a wonderful, wonderful soul who actually worked as a busboy for my dad for many years, stepped up and um, decided that he would like to donate a kidney to my dad. So they went through the matching process. Um, he, in fact, in the end was not a match, uh, but they never told my dad that outright. And so my dad was actually offered a kidney while we were away on vacation turned it down and then found out that this individual was no longer a match. And so again, another lowest of the low point in all of our lives. And I just kept on saying to him, you gotta just believe, you gotta believe that this is all gonna happen for you. And this will all make sense one day for us. And literally the next day he got a call and there was a donor. And on September 19th, 2020, which will be a year next week, he received a, another kidney transplant, um, which the surgery went horrifically. And he was actually in the ICU unconscious for uh, an entire week, but the kidney was successful and um, he was able to recover um, from being completely unconscious on a ventilator, um, not able to speak or move or advocate for himself. To now he's doing just wonderfully. He walks on his own. He lives life to the fullest that he can um, in a pandemic situation as a transplant patient. Um, but this has been such a beautiful blessing because he and I, through all of these medical struggles, we actually were able to um, clean up the book um, with also the help of my co-writer, Ruthie Robbins, and um, submit the book. And we got an agent on our side 
uh, that signed us back in July and now our um, working title on the rocks manuscript um, is officially on submission to the publishing houses so it's been an incredible journey and again I always say you know life is not perfect at all and there are a lot of imperfections and you know I don't think anybody comes on your show because their life is perfect or maybe I'm wrong about that I, I shouldn't assume that's always a bad thing no I, um, I think if someone had like an easy life or a perfect life I wouldn't know what to say to them Maria <laughs> I, I for sure would be able to relate to it I'm like really so no they're not my kind of people <laughs> exactly and you know as you say in your book beautifully flawed but I always uh, say imperfectly perfect and you know if anybody's listening and they're struggling with their own hardships at the time please hang on and please try to embrace the moment and realize that these hard times don't last forever, but they do teach us valuable lessons. And um, my old Italian grandmother always used to tell me, you know, as we would be making pasta and uh, different types of Italian um, delicacies, I would say, grandma, these aren't perfect. You know, they're not uniform. They're not shaped well. And she said, you know, that's how you know that they're not manufactured and you know made from a store that they're homemade it's the imperfections that show you that you have something special and unique and I want you know everybody to realize that whatever it is that you're going through that is part of your story that's part of your journey that's part of the you that's going to thrive someday if not even today um, you can always flip your story to make it more positive and you know don't go on social media and compare yourself to other people it's all a lie um, humans encounter a lot of struggle a lot of pain it's really inevitable we all go through it um, one of my dad's most favorite quotes is the real joy in life is not arriving at your destination. It's looking back on the struggle and how you got there. And I truly believe that if you can obtain two things in life, you're going to be successful. Um, and those two factors are grit and resiliency. And, you know, as we had mentioned at the, the top of the show, uh, Shelly, my day job is working as a grant writer uh, at a nonprofit called St. Paul's Community Development Corporation. And our goal, um, although it's that kind of fancy rhetoric is to create human self-sufficiency, it's really just help people get a hand up and not a handout. Um, and by instilling these two skills into everybody that comes through our doors, we know that if they leave with those skills, they're not coming back through our doors. So we can essentially help more people and we can empower those people that come for help because they're gonna know independently how to make it on their own, which is in my opinion, really the ultimate goal. You know, it, it's wonderful to give somebody a bag of food or to teach somebody a skill, but if they're able to, to realize how to do that on their own, that's even more valuable um, because, you know, we're, nobody's going to be around forever. Um, but, you know, imparting that wisdom and knowledge is really a valuable tool for sure. 
That's just beautiful. I love that. I've never heard that expression, but he said about a hand up, not a hand out. And I love that. And it is teaching people skills, isn't it? Just in that time when life seems overwhelming. I mean, bless you when you shared earlier about the menu. And I do relate to that. And I, you know, you're sitting there with this massive menu and I'm not good in restaurants at any way. Do you know what I mean? I find it a bit overwhelming if I'm honest. And then you've got the massive menu, then everyone's coming over and you think, I don't know what I want. And they're giving you 20 specials and, you know, life is overwhelming. So I just love all the work you do. And maybe you've got listeners out there making a difference as well. You know, when you're helping people and it is like, almost like we become the guidebook for others who at the start of the journey we've had, and whilst the journey is never going to be the same as ours, there are skills mm-hmm. and lessons that we can share to make it easier on others, which I'd always encourage people to do. I call it from mess to message in positive changes, a self kick book. It's not about, you know, as you said about the trauma and the loss and the grief, you know, like all those other things we go through in life, like just don't get stuck in that story. Just find a way to move on and help others as you do along the way. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, it's, it seems like it's going to be something that's totally selfless, but really in a way, sometimes I almost feel a little bit selfish doing it because it makes me feel so good inside to know that I'm doing something that's making somebody else happy, making somebody else smile, reconnecting a family, offering food to somebody that doesn't have it, um, offering an opportunity for somebody to live on their own and achieve their own goals. I mean, that to me is just the beauty of life, right? We're not here for ourselves. We're here for the relationships and for the the greater community um, with other people. And if we can do that, and if we can find a way to find our own purpose in it, how beautiful and, and how wonderful that is and how blessed I am through all of this, um, being able to obtain that. I mean, I just feel so grateful and so humbled by the experience um, and so lucky. I love that. There's a beautiful quote, which is not as half as beautiful as this episode, if I'm honest, but I'll share it anyway, just for comical value. <laughs> and it says that oh. life's all about like learning what your gifts are, but the purpose of life is giving it away. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Absolutely. I love, I love that quote. So bless you. We often ask on the show when we draw it to a close, I like, you know, do you have a freebie for the listener? I love yours, but then I love food. So this is a little bit different. <laughs> Share with them what this week's freebie is. Yes, absolutely. So um, if you love Italian food and um, you don't like a, a ton of choices, um, we do have a Facebook page uh, that embodies our uh, former restaurant and it's called uh, at Joe Costanzo Prima Donna. And uh, folks can go onto our Facebook page and we do post recipes. We actually do a lot of giveaways as well. Um, and you're able to get sort of a flavor of uh, what it is that we do, what it is that our manuscript is about as well. And, um, you know, you'll be able to cook like a pro after looking at some of the videos and some of the recipes. So um, please check us out. I absolutely love that freebie and I it is quite a 
beautiful Italian name, so I shall certainly put it in the show notes so people can click on it that way. Maria C. Palmer, I've got a little bit of a crush on you. I think you're most amazing woman, so thank you for being here today. <laughs> oh, Shelley, it is mutual. I loved your book, and if uh, people have not picked it up, they really need to. Um, and I can't wait for Good Grief, which I know is coming out at the end of the month. I have it on pre-order, but I love the fact that you are able to give tangible ways for people to really obtain happiness and it's such an easy read and you're so so funny and relatable and um it's great so if you haven't picked it up please do pick up Shelley's book it's it's quite awesome well now I just love you even more (laughs) (laughs) Maria C. Palmer thank you so much for joining us today thank you Shelley this has been wonderful If you enjoyed today's episode, please make sure you subscribe and leave a positive review. If you would like to create your own positive changes, you can buy Positive Changes, a self-kickbook from all online book retailers or from ShellyFKnight.com. If you need a dollop of positivity until the next episode, come like and follow us over on Facebook at ShellyFKnight, life goes on. As always, I've been Shelly F. Knight and you've been amazing.